No one's allowed to get sick for a while. No one's allowed to get cancer. No one's allowed to have heart attacks. No one's allowed to die. No one's allowed to get sickness. No one, you understand? Okay, nod your heads. It's almost becoming too much. Lynn Westner was a friend of mine and, uh, of course, his wife. And it's just very, very touching. She, she lasted a long time with him. They did a lot of good things in this world for people, opening up their home and homes. And I very much uh, enjoy knowing them. And she, she was one of those wives that was right there through it all for months, if not years. I believe he had brain cancer. And at the, at the end, he actually, the brain, the tumor came out of his cheek on the outside. And it was very, very hard for all of us to deal with. So, and there's some very serious things on our list. Please, unusual effort this week to, to pray for these needs. Uh, uh, Lori Clore, Lori Clore called me tonight to thank me, to tell me to thank you for all your prayers. And she's not out of the woods yet, but she broke out, broke down crying on the phone. It's only the third person today that broke down crying on the phone for, for their issues. And but she broke down crying because she's very grateful for the prayer covering we're giving her. Need you to know that on your prayer list right now, as I look around, there are some here that have bad cancers and aren't telling you. And it's just a general wearing right now uh, on them and on those that do know. So please keep those in prayer on the list and maybe even those that are sitting around you. It's, it's a hard time. It's a tough time. Uh, Lynn's funeral will be at Sorge, but there is an, a little bit of an added joy there. You'll have to help me. A famous singer, I think, from the Cove, Tom something, Tom Smith. Is that what you're saying? Did I say it right? Uh, when she had her son die last year, he came in and did a concert right there in the funeral home. And he'll be doing a concert again on, on Friday in the funeral home. So keeping that in mind as well. No, there's no meal needed. Uh, so, Wow. Revelation chapter 11. Chapter 11. We come to one of the great chapters in the book of Revelation. And uh, some very important things happen. And I know that looking at you, probably a fourth of you or more won't be here next week. Because Awana is starting. And the Awana bash is next week. And then the following week. So... I, I hope I can make this extra special and even get ahead if we, if we can, for your sake. The final triumph over evil. Talking about the great destruction of Israel and Jerusalem in the book of Revelation. Chapter 11, 1 and 2. 
And there was given me a reed, like unto a rod, a measuring stick. And the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. Beginning right away, you've got to understand there is no temple there right now. So there must be going to be one of those things that, that we are to look forward to. Another indication is there will be a new temple that isn't there right now. I have a list of all the temples here if I get a chance to say it. And I also wanted to point out to you that when he's told to measure the temple of God, the word measure has in it, measure it for destruction. It's a negative measure. They're going to take it apart. They're going to destroy it and the people. But the court which is without the temple leave out. That's the court of the Gentiles. And don't measure it, for it is given to the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they tread under foot 40 and 2 months. Two and a, three and a half years. Daniel speaks of a seven year period in which in the, the Antichrist will be, will make a treaty with Israel. But three and a half years into it and probably in those first three and a half years is when the temple, the new temple will be built. But he's going to desecrate it. He's going to demand worship as he sits in the temple. Wow. Verse 1 again. I want you to... Uh, scripture says that the Antichrist, which, by the way, that's not a term that's ever used about him. In the Bible, he's the beast. Antichrist is a term given to anyone that is antichrist and we as Christians have labeled the, the revelation, the tribulational beast, the antichrist. Scripture says the antichrist is to actually walk into the temple at the three and a half year period and demand that the world give their loyalty to him and to his government which will be a one world, no borders, government. Jesus Christ himself said that the Antichrist would actually stand in the holy place and make that proclamation. Wow. Jerusalem is the center of three different major religions and it's probably appropriate for the Antichrist, the beast, to declare that his headquarters. No better place is there. No better place is there to be called his headquarters. Wow. I just uh, love all this. I hope I can make it real to you. If I can get all my notes. Scripture teaches that the Antichrist will rule the, the world for seven years. 
And in the first three and a half years, he will be a, a, benef a benefactor to all the world and there'll be no hunger. There'll be no disease. Everything will be taken care of by the one world government. And then at the three and a half year period, he's going, he's going to declare war on, on the Jews. I am just amazed at how much work he's going to do at that three and a half year period. Scripture teaches that he will rule for seven years. Both Christ and the book of Daniel says that, says that the abomination of desolation, that's him, will, will walk into the temple. So, Daniel 9.27, And he, the prince, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. A seven-year period, writing a, writing a peace treaty. And in the middle of the week, Daniel 9.27, he shall cause the overspreading of abominations. This is also mentioned in the book of Matthew. Jesus says it's going to happen. And that's during the... That's during the New Testament time when Jesus said that. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. As you're turning, Matthew 24, uh, this is the great, this is a hard word, sometimes I can't say it. Matthew 24 is called the great eschatological, I said it chapter of the Bible where Jesus talks about the end times and the great tribulation but I wanted you to look with me at Matthew 24 verse 15 when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation that's the antichrist spoken of by Daniel standing in the holy place whosoever readeth let him understand that that is the beginning of the very end. We've had seven years, and even during those seven years, God has put all this wrath and, and uh, horrible things upon the earth during the first three and a half. But now, now the Antichrist is going to start his murderous reign, and he's going to turn against Israel. While you're there, out, out in that direction, look at 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Toward the end there of your, of your New Testament. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says to the Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that the day shall not come except there come a great falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that all is worshipped, so that he, as God, will sit in the temple of God, Showing himself that he is God. Now, 
Second Thessalonians was written around the years 60 AD, the last of the 50 AD, and he's, uh, the Apostle Paul is speaking about the temple. In 70 AD, the temple is torn down to the ground by Titus, a, gen a Roman general. So all these years, there has not been a temple. And yet the prophecy here is that the Antichrist will walk into the temple someday and declare himself as God. There's going to be a reason, a great reason, why people are going to uh, worship him as God. I hope we get to that right now. There were five temples mentioned in the Bible. The first one was Solomon's great temple. The second one was a young, young guy named Zerubbabel, his temple. Herod had a temple. And then there are two future temples. The temple of the tribulation, the one to be rebuilt after the first three and a half years. And then there's the temple during the millennium and Jesus will be sitting on it. In Jerusalem, the new temple in the millennium. That's just very exciting to me. Let's go on to verse 3 of Revelation 11.3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses. This is one of the most exciting little sections in the book of tribulation. There's going to be at the wailing wall. There's going to be at the wailing wall these two prophets of God. And they're going to sit up at the, at the wailing wall and it's going to be attached, of course. to The wailing wall is a wall that would probably be twice the length of our house. And it's the last remaining structure of the temple, the original temple. So the people, take, they, they come in, and some of them daily, to do their praying at the wailing wall. My wife and I have both been there, and, uh, but she wasn't allowed to go with me because they have a woman's side and a men's side. They're not allowed to mix their wailings. So, uh, but what's going to happen here is there's going to be two people, and they're going to stand at the temple. And they're going to be wearing a robe. And they're going to teach the people of Israel and all those that are watching. And anyone that tries to touch them gets burnt to a crisp. I love it. Anybody tries to hurt them gets burnt to a crisp. Watch. Verse 3, I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy. The word prophesy means teach also. They shall prophesy a thousand, two hundred and three score days. That works out to three and a half years again. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. If any man will hurt them, fire comes out of their mouth. 
and devours their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this way, with fire, he must be killed. These have power to shut up heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecies. And they have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Just stopping there for a moment. Who are these guys? Scholars, Christians have questioned this for 2,000 years. This prophecy came out in 96 AD and people have sat around and tried, who are these guys? Now this is my third or fourth time preaching it to you. So those of you that have been here before, you already know. You know who they are. But, for instance, one combination is Elijah and Enoch. Because they never died. Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind. Enoch, he was and was not. He went for a walk and was not. Never died. That's one that's one possible solution. Who they are standing at the wailing wall or at the temple gate and teaching about Jesus Christ. And Jews, true Jews, hate that. They hate being taught about Jesus. But in a very, in, in a very short amount of time, many of them are going to believe so watch what happens here. It's almost like a, a movie. Verse, oh, by the way, the other solution was Moses and Elijah. Moses is the one that did the uh, waters into blood. Moses is the one that brought plagues down. And it was Elijah in Elijah's day... He, he called for rain to stop, and it stopped. He called for rain to start, and it started. No rain for three and a half years back in Elijah's day. No rain here for three and a half years over Israel. Their crops are all going to fail. The Israelites are going to hate these prophets. They're going to do all they can to stop, to, to kill them. But they're not, nothing can touch them. They have the hand of God on them. Those of you that are deep, deep scholars, I found something out today. These are two Jewish men. Enoch was not a Jew. Those of you who know the word, that will puzzle you. Verse 7, and when they shall have finished their testimony, three and a half years are up, the beast, that's the Antichrist, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them. What? And kill them? Yes. Yes. Nobody has been able to injure them or hurt them, but the beast, the one world government leader, is going to show up 
at the scene and he maybe lightning's going to shoot out his hands something is going to happen and the two prophets are going to drop dead in front of everybody worldwide coverage never could this be seen before in history now we've got satellite tv we've got everybody's going to see it happen watch and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom. There's Sodom again. And Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Speaking of, of Jerusalem, the two prophets of God lying dead in a pile. And watch what happens. And they of the people and all kindreds and tongues and nations, they shall see their dead bodies for three and a half days and shall not allow their dead bodies to be put in the graves. <coughs> Never in the history of the world has this been possible until now. When it says that everybody is going to see these two guys dead in the streets. They're going to leave the bodies dead in the streets three and a half days. <coughs> Excuse me. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them. They will make merry over it. And they shall send gifts one to another. It's another Christmas time for them. They're going to exchange gifts over the death of the prophets. That's how blinded the people of earth will be. Because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three and a half days, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet. The two dead prophets got up and great fear fell upon them which saw them. I'm sure this was on breaking news as well. What? They resurrected from the dead. They heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And that might be the voice back in Revelation 4 that we hear when he calls on John to come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. In the same hour was a great earthquake. And a tenth part of the city fell and in the earthquake were slain of men. 7,000 deaths. And the remnant were affrighted. They were afraid and gave glory to God. They've heard these two people preach for two and a half, for three and a half years. Now they've seen two people come back alive, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like a helium balloon lifting off. The ground going into heaven, received, being received in a cloud like Jesus was. They've seen that. Then one-tenth of the city falls down. 
7,000 people die, which Jerusalem is very large. I don't know quite how many people are there, but uh, we, don't have, we don't have the right mindset of how big Jeru Jerusalem is until maybe you've been there or driven through it. And they were affrighted, and they gave glory to the God of heaven. A lot of hearts were changed that day. And it says, a second woe is past, and behold, a third woe comes quickly, and the seventh angel sounded. Where that, where's that from? The seventh angel finally plays his tune, and there were great voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Lord, I can't wait. If we're in heaven already, Lord, I hope we get to see it. That's in your hands. Lord, we do want to take this time to rightfully, righteously pray for the country of Israel and for the Israelites to have their hearts turned to you. We want to pray, dear Lord, for these on our prayer list and even others that are hurting badly. We pray, dear Lord, for your perfect will and your presence to be done with them. Thank you, Lord. All of this is in our future. Wow. In Christ's name, amen.